Welcome to Whitechapel Church Online. You're currently listening to preaching from our Sunday services. We believe that when the preaching happens, that collectively we're hearing the Word of God, and that God's Word has the power to change who we are. We also believe that God can meet you right where you're at, and that He has a Word specifically for you. We hope that you enjoy today's sermon, and we would love to have you at an in-person service. Head over to whitechapelchurch.com to get more info. Enjoy the sermon, and be blessed. And as you're being seated, if you'll uh, grab a Bible, uh, or if you use the Bible app, or however uh, you follow along, uh, turn over to Acts chapter 5. So we're going to continue looking at uh, the book of Acts as we make our way through the book of Acts and what it means to be rooted in him. Uh, Pastor Ashley shared with you this morning, but I just want to re-emphasize that so that uh, you remember it. It's fresh on your brain. Uh, This week is our Christmas Eve service. So it's on Saturday night, and then next Sunday is Christmas Day. And so we want to encourage you to be here with us next Sunday, um, which is Christmas Sunday. Uh, Our goal is for us to have a a service that lasts right out an hour, so we'll be out of here right out about 11, so then that way you've got plenty of time for other Christmas festivities or Christmas dinner or whatever your Christmas plans are. Uh, But uh, do also plan on being with us on Christmas Eve as we gather together for a dinner and then a Christmas Eve service here in this room. There's some flyers out in the lobby. I want to encourage you to grab one of those and um, invite somebody to be with you on Christmas Eve or on Christmas Sunday. Uh, But don't forget to RSVP if you're coming to the dinner on Saturday night. So with that. I love the holidays. I love Christmas time. Uh, I've been in Florida for 22 years now, and if you remember, a couple of weeks ago, I went back to Missouri for one of my cousin's uh, daughter's weddings, and while I was there, the temperature uh, for a big part of that was in the 30s, and uh, the first couple of years that I was here in Florida for Christmas time, it took me forever to realize in my internal clock, wherever that is, that it was Christmas time. It never felt like Christmas to me uh, because the weather was so different here than it was uh, growing up in Missouri. And so it's just a little bit different, and it takes some time to get used to that. And so now when it starts getting in the 50s, I think, ooh, it's Christmas time. Christmas is coming. Uh, but I love Christmas time. I love everything about Christmas time. I love giving gifts. I love celebrating that Christ came to be with us and to fix the sin problem that we read about in Genesis chapter 3. I love everything about Christmas time. But there's one thing that frustrates me sometime, uh, sometimes uh, at Christmas. I have a problem trying to discern who is right to help. And so, at Christmas time, we have a lot of requests and who uh, and people that need help. And I, uh, I have a generous heart, and I am not good at discerning what are good requests and what are bad requests. Uh, that's just not one one thing that I have. Uh, one pastor that I served with um, um, a number of years ago, his philosophy was, "We help no one." I've been with uh, other pastors that have structure, and so it's hard for me in discerning. 
Who is right to help and who is it that's actually faking and who is it that is making something up or actually presenting some type of a fake request in order to gain some money? You're thinking, where in the world is he actually going with this? I promise you, we're going somewhere with this. I promise you that. When I was in Jacksonville, I was a bivocational pastor. It means I worked at the church and I also had um, a secular job. In the secular job that I had, uh, I worked in radio. The company that I worked for uh, owned a radio station, uh, a few radio stations, and then there were two TV stations. And one year at the TV station at Christmas time, one of the TV reporters uh, had, uh, we had had a discussion about this, and then he actually set up a sting, if you will, and he went to a heavily trafficked intersection, and they had a hidden camera, and he had a camera on him, and he set up there for several hours over the course of several days. And he held up a sign and it said, out of work, need food for my family. And in this, he was actually seeing how much they actually receive on the side of the road. I forget the total amount, but it was well over $1,000 over the course of just a couple of days. And then this was one of the investigative reports showing of what this actually was. And so I struggle with this, and I don't know if you struggle with this, but do you ever pull up to a stoplight and there's somebody there on the side of the road and they're holding a sign? What is your instinct? What is it that's inside of you? Is it to roll down the the window and get the change out of the cup holder? Is it to see if you actually have any cash and give them the cash? Or is it to sit in the, sit in the, the car, holding your steering wheel, looking forward and never glancing over to make eye contact with that person? It's hard, isn't it? It's hard because there are so many stories that actually pull on our heartstrings. There's so many needs and so many people that truly have needs. Sometimes we don't discern, is it a true need or is it an actual fake event? Just a couple of weeks ago, I was watching the news. There was a lady in Georgia that, they, uh, that just got arrested, and they discovered, her family actually turned her in, that she created this uh, fake story that she had cancer. She went and played the part all the way through. She shaved her head. She set up her own GoFundMe account. She was asking people for money, and her family realized there was something off in this story, and they turned her in. She had raised over $15,000 just lying to people. It's hard at this time of year especially to discern is it right or is it wrong? Are they telling the truth or are they not telling the truth? Because so many things pull on our heartstrings. And when I hear stories like this, it frustrates me. And I'm sure that it actually frustrates you too. But you know, here in the book of Acts, we see a very, in Acts chapter 5, we see a very, very similar story actually playing out that we see in Scripture. It's two people, Ananias and Sapphira, who actually are presenting a fakeness in the presence of God and his people. So follow along, if you will, in Acts chapter 5. Now a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back a part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? 
What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied to men, but to God. When Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. And great fear seized all who heard what had happened. Then the young men came forward, wrapped up his body, and carried him out and buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, Tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? Yes, she said, that is the price. Peter said to her, How could you agree to test the spirit of the Lord? Look, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out also. At that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. Then the young men came in, finding her dead, carried her out, and buried her beside her husband. Great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. Now, in order for us to actually capture what is taking place here, in what some people would say is a very cruel way for God to move at the beginning of the church, we have to go back and read the last couple verses of Acts chapter 4. So we read this last week, and I want to ask if you would to turn back and take a look at the very, very end of Acts chapter 4. It's verse 36 and verse 37. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. And so this story is more than just about Ananias and Sapphira. There is a move that's taking place among these early believers, the several thousand believers that are new in relationship with God. And one of the things that they decided to do when they actually got together was that they were going to live in community with each other. They made this pact with one another that they were going to share all of their possessions. And so at the end of Acts chapter 4, we read that Barnabas sold something and a piece of property and he gave everything to this group of believers in the early church. Sometimes when we read this story about Ananias and Sapphira, we forget what happened at the end of Acts chapter 4. If we read all of that passage as we looked last week, we see this generous spirit where they're actually together. And in this togetherness, they are living sacrificially because the Lord has changed their heart. And then we get to Ananias and Sapphira, and they come championing in that they have sold their property, and they are wanting to have the same praise that Barnabas did. Now, I'm sure that when Barnabas actually did this, the people celebrated what was taking place because the Lord, before there was a need, had given him this piece of property, and he brought it in and gave everything. But Ananias and Sapphira, we don't get all of the details in this, but obviously they had made some type of a pact together as husband and wife that they were going to make a scene out of their actual giving, and they were going to hold back a portion of it for themselves against this covenant that they had actually made with all of the other believers. In essence, what they were doing is they were cheating the system. They had made a covenant agreement with a group of believers in the early church, and then they were selfishly withholding, but yet they were championing the work that they were doing. So in the difference in these two people that sold property, or these two different groups, Barnabas and Ananias and Sapphira, was who was the credit actually going to? 
Barnabas was giving the credit to the Lord in giving everything over to the believers. Ananias and Sapphira were championing their own cause and cheating the system in saying, I'm keeping some of this back for myself, but yet I'm going to lie to all of the believers and the Holy Spirit and then actually say that I want to be acknowledged for the sacrifice that I'm making when they were not making any sacrifice whatsoever. So this communal living, this sacrifice among all the believers was actually cheated and wrong, and Ananias and Sapphira were lying about their sacrifice here. You see, what they were guilty of was using God instead of serving God. You see the two differences that are taking place here? Barnabas was serving God, and he was living from a right heart in saying, God, I believe that you have blessed me abundantly. And so in this agreement that we have, I'm going to fulfill that. And so I'm going to serve you and give you everything. Ananias and Sapphira were using God instead of serving God to actually make a name for themselves. They were saying, hey, look at us. Look at what we were able to do. Look at the amount of money that we were actually giving to all of the other believers. They were using God to pat themselves on the back. And boy, that's a long reach, isn't it? To actually pat yourself on the back. Do you know that when you pat yourself on the back, you're more likely to hurt a muscle than you are in lifting your hands and worship to God? And that is what's taking place here in the difference in Barnabas and Ananias and Sapphira. They're patting themselves on the back and saying, hey, aren't we good? And Barnabas is actually serving God and lifting his hands in worship and surrendering everything to God. You can watch a gathering of believers, the church, a local church, and you can see in the body of the church, if you'll observe for just a little bit of what is taking place, are th- is this a group of people that are praising God and serving God, or are they too worried and concerned about patting themselves on the back? We can talk about all kinds of different things, but here it's actually laid out in the scripture for us. How often do we crave attention or seek approval for the things that we're doing when instead we should be pausing to praise God for how he is blessing us and then living a life of service and surrender and worship completely to him? If you take Acts chapter 5 at its face value, what you will see is there is a sin that is rooted in the motivations of the heart. Barnabas had a heart of worship and service. Ananias Ananias and Sapphira had a heart of selfishness, and they wanted to make a name for themselves. It was the motivation of the heart, and the sin was rooted deep inside of the heart. But what we see from the beginning of the book of Acts as we've been going through it, and Jesus finally ascended, and the Holy Spirit finally arrives, and then the fulfillment of all the prophecies had been fulfilled, that God would be with his people. The reason that we celebrate Christmas, his birth, so that he could die, so that he could ascend, so that he could send the comforter to actually be with us. We see here a change of heart in all of these people. Peter preached a sermon. 
3,000 people get saved. Peter and John go to prison. They actually see a group of people actually sees this man who had been crippled for over 40 years. And then they interact with the believers. Another couple of thousand people get their lives right with God and they surrender. What God is doing is a heart work in all of these people. And evidently, when we get to Acts chapter 5, whether Ananias and Sapphira's heart was changed or not, here we see they've either gone back to the way their old heart was or it was never actually changed to begin with. The heart is the problem. And that's why I struggle. That's why I struggle at Christmas time when we're confronted with all of these needs to actually give. To give. And I, I want to help the needy. I believe that's a part of the assignment from God to help the church, to help the poor. Jesus himself talks about the poor. The problem is a lot of people want to pull on your heartstrings and they want to manipulate your heart when they're just living just like Ananias and Sapphira. And so I struggle with this. But you know what our world tells us about the heart? The world tells us a lot of things. And I've just done a little bit, a little bit of internet research. You didn't laugh? Internet research? Because the internet's always right, right? The internet's always right. It never wrong. It's never, never wrong. So let me tell you some of the research that I've done here. Keep calm and follow your heart. Have you ever had anybody, a neighbor, a good friend tell you this? All you have to do in life is keep calm and follow your heart. That's all you have to do in life. Or what about this one? Follow your heart and your dreams will come true. That's all you have to do. Follow your heart because your heart's going to tell you where you need to go. And just follow your heart and your dreams are actually going to come true. What about this one? If you don't follow your heart, you might spend the rest of your life wishing that you had. Have you ever looked back on life from this moment and looked back and said, man, I wish I would have followed my heart back there. I wish that I would have followed my heart because I wouldn't be where I am in this hard moment right here and right now. What about this one? It says, break the rules and stand apart. Ignore your head, but follow your heart. This is some good worldly advice, isn't it? This is, this is what the world would say to us is some good advice. Here's a little bit of scientific research for us. The problem is your dream is floating around in this hot air balloonish thing above your head. It's kind of like the cloud around Linus, right? The problem is your mind. It's anatomically blocking your heart, it says. The problem here is your heart. It's the best decision maker that there is. The heart is always saying, I want my dream to become true no matter what. The solution is open your mind and follow your heart and reach your dream. Some good worldly advice. Follow your heart regardless of what others tell you to do. It's how you feel at the end of the day that matters. And as long as your heart feels good, then everything's going to be just fine. Follow your heart and you will rarely get lost. Follow your heart and happiness will follow you. Follow your heart wherever it takes you. This is some good worldly advice, isn't it? And if you ask people, just if we were to just do a man on the street interview and we were to go to the mall, go to any store, go wherever you wanted to, and you would get down to interviews and get to the bare bones of solutions for real problems that we have in our life. You know what people are going to tell you? Nine times out of ten, they're going to tell you, just follow your heart. Just follow your heart. 
Because your heart is never going to deceive you. Just follow your heart. That's all you have to do. That's some good advice. Unless you're living biblically. Unless you're living biblically. You know what Ananias and Sapphira were doing here in Acts chapter 5? They were following their heart. They were living selfishly, saying, hey, my heart says Barnabas just gave all of his money because he sold his property. And so I don't need to give all of our money right now because they've got plenty of money in in the body of believers. And so my heart says the believers don't need all of this money. And so my heart says I can keep a little bit back to myself We're just not going to tell everybody. So in this um, deceit that is in Ananias and Sapphira, they concoct a story by following their heart and lying to the believers and the Holy Spirit. You see, the heart is always the problem. And in Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9, we read of a truth that has to change us in 2022. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? The heart is deceitful and it's desperately sick. So you can follow your heart if you want to. You can take up whatever your heart tells you and you can say, hey, I'm going to live with my heart's leading. But the scripture's clear. The heart is deceitful above all things. It's desperately sick. Who can understand it? And you know people that concoct fake stories that want to take our money? They know this truth. They know that the heart is desperately sick and it's going to deceive us. So they concoct these stories to pull on our heartstrings. What if, what if we became Barnabases like at the end of Acts chapter 4 and instead of living, following our heart the way that Ananias and Sapphira did, we followed the Holy Spirit's leading. You see what's happened in the believers in the book of Acts. They've exchanged hearts with a God who came to be with his people. This is why we celebrate Christmas. This is why we we, uh, live out the truth of the prophecy that Jesus was Emmanuel, God with us. So we don't have to obey a deceitful heart. Instead, we can be changed through the power of his grace and then filled with his spirit. So we're not following our heart. Instead, we are following Holy Spirit's leading. And this is all played out at the end of Acts 4 and the beginning of Acts chapter 5. Barnabas following the Holy Spirit's leading. Ananias and Sapphira that are following their heart and the sinfulness, the deceitfulness that is right there in the seat of the heart. You can't trust your heart. So who can you trust? It's Jesus Christ. You see, there is no hope outside of Jesus Christ. And our heart will always deceive. But Jesus will always discern. You see, we need the Holy Spirit to fix our heart. We must have the Holy Spirit to fix our heart. In Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 26, God actually speaking here says, I will give you a new heart. The old one is deceitful above all things. But God says, listen, I'm going to do a work. I am coming to be with you. 
and to give you my spirit. So I'm going to give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put in you. I will remove from you your I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. Here we see the work that must take place when Jesus comes. A new heart and his spirit inside of us. Because the old heart is an Ananias and Sapphira heart. It is a deceitful heart, but there is only hope in Jesus Christ. And this is the work that the enemy always does. Always, always does. My favorite verse John 10.10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. How is it that he does that? He wants you to follow your heart. And it can't be wrong is what the enemy would say to us. Your heart can't be wrong, can it? It, it, It's your heart. And goodness gracious, if God knit you together in your mother's womb, then didn't he give you that heart? So how can that heart be wrong? These are the lies the enemy wants you to believe. And the enemy will quote quote scripture to try to get you to follow your heart. He did it. He did it whenever he was communicating as the serpent with Adam and Eve in the garden, didn't he? He said, did God really say? He was quoting scripture back and saying, well, that's not what God said. That's not God's word. Did God really say that? And what happened? Adam and Eve followed their heart instead of relying on God actually being with them. And so what we see taking place in Genesis chapter 3 is God was with his people. He was with Adam and Eve. And then their heart led them astray. Listen, you can be with God and then follow your heart and be away from God. I believe that's what's happened here with Ananias and Sapphira. I believe that God did a work in their life. There's other some scriptures that can actually support that. But then they followed their heart. That sin in their heart led them astray. That motivation of the heart caused them to walk away from their relationship with God. I want to ask you a question. Who do you let shape your heart? Who do you let shape your heart. You see, God clearly said the work that he wants to do in your life. He clearly laid out for us that he wants to give us a new heart and then put his spirit inside of you. And there's purpose in that order. A new heart that comes at salvation, the Holy Spirit that comes with the infilling of the Holy Spirit. There's clearly in this prophecy two steps that have to take place. And some of us want to rely on the new heart that comes whenever we realize that we're lost and undone. And then we think, okay, I can sustain this heart. I can keep this heart. I will be able to protect and guide this heart. But what happens is if we are running on the wrong fuel, the heart is eventually going to stop. We have to take God's heart and use God's fuel, which is his spirit, in order to keep that heart moving and beating, spiritually speaking. A new heart and a new spirit are vital here. So if the heart is deceitful above all things and it will lead us astray, then what is the solution? The solution is Jesus and the Holy Spirit. 
So who are you allowing to shape your heart? Is it the people saying, just follow your heart? Just follow your heart. The heart's not going to deceive you. The heart is going to lead you to accomplish your dreams. And if your heart is broken, you've got to do everything you can to fix it so that you can get it back healthy so that you can actually begin to follow your heart again and live out your dreams. Where is God in any of that stuff right there? Jesus said it's a, or God said it's a new heart and a new spirit. It's receiving salvation and then allowing his spirit to come in and fuel your heart actually going forward. And if you allow the wrong people to shape your heart, your heart will always be a mess. You see, God wants to shape your heart. And what is the shaping that he actually wants to do? He simply wants you to reflect his image. That's it. You are an image bearer of him. And the way that that takes place is with a new heart that he gives you and a new spirit, which is the Holy Spirit, at work in your life. So what we have to remember is Jesus has done the work to actually fix my heart. He's already done the work. It's actually been accomplished already. This is why he came This is why he died. This is why he arose. This is why he ascended and the Holy Spirit actually came. He has already done the work. Proverbs 4.23 reminds us of the work that we have to do because Jesus has done the work and now we have to go to work. Above all else, the wisdom writer tells us. Above all else. Now, does this say there's other work we should be doing in front of this? Absolutely not. Above all all else. Do you know what all means? All means all. (laughs) Everything. Above everything else, guard your heart. Guard your heart. For everything you do flows from that. Everything you do flows from that. You know what you should be doing whenever God gives you a new heart and then he fills you with his Holy Spirit? You should be guarding that heart. Guarding that heart. Now you think, I don't have the power to guard that heart. You're right. That's why he gave us Holy Spirit. So that we don't have to do the work. Jesus already did the work to fix the heart, but then also protect and guard that heart. You see, Ananias and Sapphira probably received a new heart, but they stopped using God's fuel, the Holy Spirit, to guard that heart. And they were left defenseless in the eyes of an enemy who comes to steal, to kill, and destroy. And if you're not doing the work of guarding your heart, you will always fall prey to the enemy that's seeking whom he may devour. So guard your heart. So then as I got to this point, as I was studying for this message, I started wrestling with what is it like what does it look like to actually guard our heart? And you know what? I don't, I don't know that I've ever read any books about what it means to guard your heart, to actually live out this verse from the wisdom writer in Proverbs chapter 4, Proverbs chapter 4 verse 23. What does it look like to guard your heart? And if the scripture is true, and boy, I believe it is, if the scripture is true and it says above all else, guard your heart, then we have to know how to do that. 
we have to wrestle with how to, how to guard our heart. And so this morning, I want to give you some very practical tips. I did not come up with these. I actually found these on a website, and I'm going to show you the website in just a minute. But man, they are good. And I think it's important for us at this point in celebrating the birth of Jesus Christ who came to give us a new heart and to put his spirit inside of us. It is vital for us to know how to guard our heart. So there's seven things, seven things here that I want to encourage you to do as we prepare to leave here in just a few moments on this, on this morning. How to guard your heart. This is from beforethecross.com. The link is down there. So if you want to read, he expounds on these. But these are great, and I just want to share them with you this morning. you got to protect everything that comes in it. You have to protect everything that comes in your heart. Because you know what? There are going to be people holding up signs. It might not say, I need a meal. I don't have a job. Please help me feed my family. It might not say that. It might say instead, hey, invest in this. Buy this. Or it might say, no, it might be a sign, hey, do this. Our family's going to go do this. Do you want to go do this with us? You see, you have to protect everything that comes in your heart. Everything has to be filtered through your new heart and the new spirit that God has placed inside of you. Because if we stop doing this work of protecting, of guarding our heart and everything that comes at it, what's going to happen is we're going to end up like Ananias and Sapphira. Now, we might not die on the spot like that. I've never seen, I've seen people lie to the Holy Spirit, but I've never seen anybody fall dead on the spot. I've seen God deal with them in other different ways. I wasn't pointing over here because you guys are the ones that are, sorry. I've seen people do that in other ways. I'll point up here. Sorry about that. But we've got to do this work of protecting and guarding our heart and everything that comes at it because there are consequences whenever you don't guard your heart. And whenever you let your guard down, that's when the enemy is going to attack. So we have to do the work of protecting everything. Why? Because everything is competing for you. Absolutely everything is competing for you. It's the shows you watch on TV. They're competing for you. It's the ads that are in those shows. It's competing for you. It's what you watch or what you do on social media. It's competing for you. It's how you spend your money. It's competing for you. It's the mail that you get, the emails that you get, the people that you encounter, and even your job. It's competing for you. And if you're not guarding your heart, then what's going to happen is we're going to be lured by some of these things. And it might seem innocent at first. And you know what? I believe probably, this is just my guess, uh, Scripture doesn't tell us this, so this is not scriptural, but I can see where Ananias and Sapphira started with a good heart, and they said, hey, let's put this piece of property up for sale. Just think of what God can do with the money that we get from this piece of property. So they probably started with a good heart, but somewhere in here and not guarding their hearts, the enemy pounced, and he lured them into this scheme to actually cheat and lie to God. So you've got to protect everything that comes into your heart. The second is persevere in the face of difficulties. You have to persevere. This is a big word right here. You have to persevere. You know what that means? Don't give up. Winston Churchill said it best in a commencement speech. Never, 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 never give up. That was his commencement speech. Whenever it comes to guarding your heart, you have to persevere in life. God 
came to be with you. He accomplished that through his death, through his burial, his resurrection and ascension to give you a new heart and put his spirit inside of you. So you have to persevere through all of the mess that we actually have in life. Jesus said in the Gospel of John, chapter 16, verse 33, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. But here's my, here's my translation. But you should persevere. Don't give up. He said, but take heart. Whose heart? His heart. Take heart. I have overcome the world. And so we have to be people that protect everything that comes out our heart. We have to persevere in the face of difficulties. These next few, we're going to go through quickly. Three, follow what the Lord is leading you to do. Don't follow what people who want to compete for your time and your money and your resources. Don't follow them. Don't trust your heart. Trust the Lord. Follow what the Lord is leading you to do. You've got to answer that one in everything. Four, cultivate an atmosphere of community. You've got to be with a group of believers. You can't protect your heart on your own. You need other people to help you protect your heart. You need other people that are fighting for what the Lord is doing in your life instead of competing with you for what you can get or what they can actually get. You've got to surround yourself with people that are going to help you in this task of guarding your heart. It's vital, and you need a community of believers. And that's what we see actually is taking place here in Acts chapter 4 and Acts chapter 5. God has bound together a community of believers where they can each protect their heart. And when the enemy starts using Ananias and Sapphira, God takes them out because they're going to lead other people away and start allowing the enemy to use them to attack other people's heart. So you've got to cultivate an atmosphere of community, a community of believers. We try to do that here at Whitechapel Church. Next, the, the um, fifth thing here, keep priorities high and do not compromise. That's biblical compromise. When the Lord tells you, and number three, what to do, you've got to keep that as your priority. Number six, trust the Lord with rest. You've got to rest. He gave us the pattern, and so you've got to be able to get away in order to refuel. And number seven, preach the gospel to yourself each day. You've got to preach this gospel to yourself. You can't get so wrapped up in preaching to other people that you forget to preach it to yourself because we need to remind ourselves what God is doing. So here's what I want to ask you to do in this week before Christmas. Get some time away. Sit with the Lord. And I want to encourage you to go over these things, these seven things. We'll send them out by email. We're going to post them on our social media channels. I want you to do that work of guarding your heart. Guarding your heart. Because I don't want to see any of us. I don't want to see any of us living the way that Ananias and Sapphira did. You've got to guard your heart. So maybe this morning you came into this place with just a tired heart, a heart that's tired. You're tired of fighting. You're tired of wrestling. You're tired of getting up and trying to discern what is the next step that you've got to take in life. You're tired of living broken heart to broken heart to broken heart. You're tired of trying to create this life that you have pictured in your mind that is just the perfect life. So I want to ask you this question again so that we can figure out 
what the problem is, how we can guard our heart. Who do you let shape your heart? Who do you let shape your heart? Do you know what I believe this morning? I wholeheartedly believe with 100% of my being that God has revealed some things to each of us this morning with some heart problems that we're actually having. And what a celebration this Christmas would it be to rely on the new heart that he's put inside of us and Holy Spirit, the new spirit that he's actually given to us instead of fighting with our heart and everybody all around us. I believe that God has begun to reveal some things and brought some things to your mind that you maybe have thought, I I, I don't want to think about that. I've got to worry about I think God's brought some things to our mind or to our hearts this morning that are shaping our hearts that he wants us to get rid of. And if that is you this morning, God is obviously beginning a conversation with you and what it looks like to have this new heart A heart that's cleansed from all unrighteousness. A heart that he came to be born to die to actually give to you. And then to give you the hope of eternity in defeating the consequence of sin. And then to ascend back to prepare a place for us and to give us his spirit. To put that spirit in you. To help you guard your heart. I believe that God has spoken to each of us this morning. And this next moment in our service has to be a place of surrender to him. Who are you letting shape your heart? Or what are you letting shape your heart that you've got to get rid of and walk away from this morning so that you can live with a new heart and a new spirit to be what God has dreamed for you to be? Thanks for joining us at Whitechapel Church Online. We pray that today's sermon blessed you and that you'll continue to join us as we lean into God's Word together. Until next time, have a great week and be blessed.